Blessings in Jesus. You're listening to Philippians 1-9 Ministries with Patrick O'Brien. Today we are going to talk very quickly about binding and loosing. Binding and loosing are found in Scripture in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. But what does it really have to do with? It literally has absolutely nothing to do with any type of spiritual warfare or binding of Satan. When we look at the scripture, we always have to look at the context and interpret scripture in light of its context. And when we look at the context of Matthew 16 and 18, we don't see anything to do. There's literally no mention of any form of demonic or spirit beings and any kind of spiritual warfare being locked up or bounded or sent to prison or anything. There are literally some people out there that claim that believers have some special authority and power to bind the devil and his demons. Some will even go as far as saying that we can also bind a sickness like cancer and loose people from the devil's hold, which, which can also include some things like poverty and, and so on. But the terms binding and loosing in the second temple period were used by the rabbis legislatively and judicially. The Pharisees did claim to have to have this authority to bind and to loose, but God never gave it to them. In the rabbinic thought, asur means to bind and mitor means to loose. These terms were used legislatively and that to bind meant to forbid and to loose meant to permit. When they were used judicially, to bind meant to punish and to loose meant to not punish or set free from punishment. So again, I reiterate, Matthew 18, 18, we see the context is church discipline. Clearly, there's no mention in either Matthew 16 or 18 of any form of spiritual warfare. There's no mention of Satan, no mention of demons waging any kind of battle in the heavenlies. You know, when we look at the amplified version of this text in Matthew 16, 19, it helps us get a better understanding of the Greek Specifically, when we read it in the Amplified Version, we can see the Greek tenses come out. You'll see it says, I will give you the keys or authority of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you lose, permit, declare lawful on earth, will have already been loosed in heaven. In Matthew 18, 18, the context, again, is the church discipline. There's nothing to do with any form of spiritual powers of wickedness in the heavenlies being taken after. Now, I know the next thing you might ask is, okay, well, what about that some say that you can bind sicknesses like cancer and, and lose people from the devil devil's grasp? Well, let's look at the, the biblical healing aspect. When it comes to biblical healing... We have to understand that it's a gift from God, as He wills. We have to look at biblical healing as a as happening by the sovereign manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and ultimately, again, as God wills. Remember, Paul's own thorn in the flesh remained unhealed. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12.9. Paul indirectly admits that he had no ability to heal Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.27, Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23, or Trophimus in 2 Timothy 4.20. We should still always 
be drawing near in confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to and help in our time of need. But biblical healing is not a guarantee, nor is it something that we can declare with our mouth or profess to happen. So we have to remember, all three Gospels show that Jesus was responding to the faith of the four men, not the paralytic, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. We can see this in, in Mark 2. And then they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Matthew 9, 2. So clearly we see that not everybody in Scripture is healed. There's no requirement for everybody to be healed, and we don't have the power to heal everybody. It's as God wills, specifically. Now, also when it comes to binding and loosing, we see some people say, well, we can rebuke Satan, right? We can rebuke him. Now, we have to look that at when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he didn't rebuke or bind him. Jesus quoted scripture relevant to the issue that Satan was raised. He literally knew the scripture in context and was able to use that. That was part of the spiritual battle that was happening. It is not necessary for us to rebuke Satan for a number of reasons. First, we have to remember Satan is a specific fallen angel, and he cannot be in all places at once like God. He's not omnipresent. He can't even be in two places. He is not the one who personally causes everybody's temptations and troubles or sicknesses especially. And so when we begin to try to rebuke Satan, it's to no avail. He's not there causing you issues specifically. A spiritual warfare does not does not exist, but the means by which believers fight in it in, in how many churches today are teaching it. The reason all these false practices came about is because Satan is trying to keep believers from studying and knowing the Word of God for themselves. Now, again, I'll say, the spiritual warfare does exist, but the means by which the believers fight in it is not how many churches today are teaching it. We have to look at it from the way the Scripture teaches us. We see that the Bible tells us to resist the devil, and we do this by having the full armor of God, which is knowing the scripture in context and that it can be used effectively. We see this in Ephesians 6. We're called to resist him in 1 Peter 5, 9. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, James 4, 7. We're called to put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil in Ephesians 6, 11. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore take up all the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist the, the evil day. And having done everything to, again, stand firm. A spiritual warfare does exist, but the means by which we as the believers fight it is not how these churches are, are teaching it today. There is no such thing as binding and loosing of Satan. There is no such thing as... Uh, being able to heal just because we command there to be a healing. We have to remember these terms that were used. The church has no authority to bind and to loose legislatively today. What we're seeing specifically is that there's no apostolic succession, and therefore 
this authority that was given to the apostles was never passed on beyond the apostles. So, as I said, the church has no authority to bind and to lose legislatively. What that means is it means that no authority to bind, meaning to issue further rules and regulations for believers to follow, that's not allowed. Likewise, it has no authority, the church, to loose, meaning it's not allowed to release believers from the rules of Scripture. All the church can do is excommunicate a sinner, as we see in Matthew 18. The only binding and loosing in the church today has to do with the breaking and not breaking of fellowship with a sinning believer. It has nothing to do with spiritual warfare. It has nothing to do with battles in the heavenlies or anything of that nature. It specifically has to do with these judicial and legislative terms used in the Second Temple period. Now, one last thing. Sometimes we'll hear people will say, yeah, but what about in Matthew 10 when he gave them this power? We have to remember, we'll we'll go more into detail on specifically Matthew chapter 10 and the end of Matthew or the end of Mark's gospel too. And we'll go into more detail on what was happening there. But we have to remember Matthew 10 that he gave the 12 disciples them. Literally from Matthew 10 verses 1 through 5, Jesus clearly mentions in no less than five times that he was talking to the 12 apostles. And we'll have to develop that in another talk. Now, we also remember that Matthew 16, it was the signs that followed. They were always, you know, afterward, the apostles that went out and they preached and the Lord was working with them. It was confirming the word through accompanying signs when people heard the gospel and believed. And it was always following the word. These signs follow through the hands of the apostles specifically. And lastly, there are times, again, where people will bring up other places like Luke 10. And we have to remember that specifically like in Luke 10, we see that the 70 were sent out specifically to these, uh, what, we, what we see as about 35 cities or places that Jesus would have to go through. This was a time period specifically that uh, Jesus was sending them forth to prepare the way for him to come. And we'll have to elaborate on that more specifically later. But that was literally in verse 1, where, where he was going. That's what they were preparing the way for. And we'll have to dive into that more. Now remember, I just want to leave you with the final note. When it comes to spiritual warfare, binding and loosing has nothing to do with any form of spiritual warfare. We have to remember that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. There's a reason Satan tries to keep you from understanding God's Word and understanding it in context. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he didn't rebuke or bind him. He literally quoted scripture that was in context and relevant to the issue that Satan raised. We have to remember from 1 Peter and James chapter 4, where we're to resist him, we're to flee, we're to literally put on the armor of God in Ephesians 6. That is how we do spiritual warfare. Our two offensive weapons are in Ephesians 6 and Acts 6, where we see the prayer and the word. We have to dedicate time to understanding God's word in context and spending time to prayer. So tune in to another episode where we'll go into more detail talking about those 70 that were sent out in Luke 10. We'll talk a little bit more about in Matthew 10 what it means when he gave them this power. We'll talk a little bit about Mark 16 and what that talks about when he says these signs follow who and what we can understand also about false spiritual warfare 
as being taught by many of the hyper-charismatic churches today, and we will also take a look at genuine true spiritual warfare and closely at the believer's authority in the spiritual warfare. Until next time, we'll talk soon.